Welcome to the Craig Selinger Podcast. Sit back and relax while listening to popular topics from educators, therapists, and doctors. Craig Selinger, New York City speech language pathologist, learning specialist, owner of Brooklyn Letters and Temba Tutors, will break it down so you enjoy learning more about a wide range of topics by connecting you with experts in the field. Welcome to this podcast. I'm so excited. We have Dr. Jan Wazowitz here. She's a certified speech language pathologist. She also in the state of Illinois, she has her state certification. She's the CEO of Learning by Design. And she'll also mention uh, spell links to reading and writing and a gem of a listserv called the Spell Talk. Jan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Craig, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really excited to be here with you. And I can't believe this is your first podcast. First podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> For those that don't know who you are, in terms of literacy, I mean, you are, in, again, I'm a huge fan. I think you're one of the top literacy people out there. And I think why I say that is for many, many reasons. One, in terms of the academics, um, you, in terms, of, in terms of knowing the research, you know the research. In terms of being a teacher, you know how to teach. In terms of uh, developing software and programs in terms of literacy, uh, you're, you have one, the top listserv on literacy. So you have your hands in many pots, so you get to see so many different perspectives. And you also, uniquely, you're a speech-language pathologist. Now, people are probably saying, what does a speech-language therapist have to do with literacy? So how, John, so let's start there. Can you tell us more about your training as a speech language therapist and how you went from, you know, what people, when they think of speech language therapy in terms of, you know, speech production with lists or stuttering, how you got into the field of literacy? Yeah, well, that is a, a common understanding of what a speech-language pathologist does, is that we work on articulation. If a, you know, if a child isn't saying their sounds correctly or maybe stuttering um, problems, and, and that is all true, but what we are um, in a much bigger picture is we are specialists in oral and written language. So the, the speaking and the listening, um, understanding what people say to us and being able to speak and express our ideas to other, that's the oral language part. But the, the language systems and the language parts of our brain that you know, do all of this, they also are uh, responsible for, will be responsible for the written aspects of language, meaning the reading and the writing and the spelling. It's all language at the end of the day, language is language. And so being a specialist in um, oral language, speech language pathologist, oral language, we are also specialists in written language, reading, writing, and spelling. So, okay. So you mentioned oral language. What does oral language have to do with literacy? I know you said there's a connection there, but I don't, uh, you know, if I'm reading something, let's say I silently read it, right? I don't have mm -hmm. to talk, right? So what, what is that connection? Yeah, well, the way we store words away in our brain is they are stored as, of course, you know, the letters you see there on the page, but we also store um, in our brain in the, the pronunciation of the word, if you will. And if we have that well stored, then as we read, we are, we are fast readers, we are efficient readers, um, and we're able to extract meaning very easily from what we read. Uh, 
but that sound structure of the word, the, the way the, the word is pronounced, is a very key component of that process. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. So you say sound structure. Okay. Now, all right. So let's say there's the sound. And I know like when kids learn like pre-literacy, emerging literacy, isn't there like an, so you're, like an auditory part as well? Like hear, Like the hearing, the sound, and connecting it to print? as well yeah well so okay we as human beings we are bio biologically wired for hearing and saying sounds and so you know as as we're growing up as young children and I, I, you have young children no one had to sit us down sit our children down and teach them how to listen or how to talk they just had to be in a very language rich environment with lots of talking around them and they were able to learn how to listen understand what is said to them and talk because that's just how we are biologically wired now when when we go to school to learn how to read, write, and spell, that's when these language centers of our brain, speech and language centers of our brain, which um, allowed us to learn how to, to talk and listen, that's when those same language components and processes have to be repurposed, if you will. They're not there for the purpose of reading, writing, and spelling. That's a, reading, writing, and spelling are inventions by humans, right? Um, and so our brain was never wired to do this man-made invention, but our brains are remarkable uh, machines, if you will, and they can be repurposed to learn how to read, write, and spell by using those underlying language systems that we use for speaking and listening. And so part of instruction when students go to school, good instruction, is that we have to help the students figure out how to leverage and, and build upon their oral language skills in order to become good readers, writers, and spellers. But if the instruction isn't properly done, then they're not going to figure that out on their own. So is it possible? It's interesting. So with literacy, it's not like one specific system. There's different subsystems, right, that can yes. interact with one another. Now, is it possible that of these subsystems, maybe three quarters of the subsystems work and maybe... 25% are not working efficiently? Absolutely, and each child really does present his or her own unique profile, and that's why having a good um, diagnostic assessment conducted by a qualified professional is really critical when, you, when there is a concern about reading, writing, and spelling. Uh, but yes, the breakdown, there are so many different processes and sub-processes that feed into being a good reader, writer, and speller that um, the breakdown really could occur in one or more. It's usually more. Um, and that's the job of the qualified professionals to figure out where that, you know, to kind of go under the hood, if you will, and figure yeah. out where, where the problem is. Got it. No, that's really helpful. Now, let's go back to what you just said, that literacy is not a man-made invention. Okay. So, some students learn literacy naturally. And when I say naturally, I don't mean they just pick up a book and start to read, right? Some students need less explicit teaching than others, right? Mm -hmm. so, how, so, why is it that some students are more geared in a way to learn literacy while others aren't? Well, again, it's not a natural process, but we as humans, you know, we, I mean, there's kind of this um, 
normal distribution of, of skill and talent, I guess. Um, some students do just somehow miraculously figure it out once they're put into a good learning environment. But that's a relatively small percentage. That might be 40% of students who do learn no matter what quality of teaching they receive. Mm -hmm. They're going to figure it out. Um, but it's really the other 60% that do require some degree of explicit intensive instruction and proper instruction. Some students require a little bit of that, some require a moderate amount of that, and some students require lots and lots of that. Um, and so again, that's part of a good, good uh, professional. They are going to be able to assess that individual child and know how much and of what do they need to get there. So now you deal with school systems, right? School systems have to select, and again, it can vary by school district, by state. Now they have to then select uh, a literacy program that should ideally help the majority of students. And then they have to rely on the teachers to execute whatever that intervention is or whatever the, the teachings are, right? So how much, and I know there's so much variability out there and you're currently in the Midwest. Um, can you just say in general, like what's, what's happening? And then also on a side note, if you could mention Colorado about the READ Act, um, what, what's going on currently nowadays with, with the literacy movements, trends that you're seeing, um, for those that really have no clue where literacy is at now compared to, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago? Okay, well, there were a couple, I think, a couple of questions in there. Yes, so a lot of questions. Yeah, yes, a lot sorry. Of, more than a couple. But <laughs> yeah. let me start with, I think, what was one of your first questions there, which is um, about how schools uh, maybe go about selecting a program and then mm -hmm. implementing, in, mm -hmm. implementing the program. And um, unfortunately, that seems to, in many cases, be sort of a haphazard process. And, and there are some programs that are better than others, and there are some that are really poor. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the program itself is no better than the, the uh, abilities and knowledge and skills and training of the professionals delivering okay. it. So that's got to be a key component. Um, any school that thinks they can just bring in any program, again, no matter how good it may be, and think that they'll just give the program to the teachers and they'll, you know, all of a sudden... Uh, students are going to be, you know, student outcomes are going to improve dramatically. It's just not going to happen. It's right. a combination of, yes, you have to have a good program in place, without a doubt. And you have to have teachers who are well trained and really understand the science, what's called the science of reading. And I'm going to jump, I'm going to totally interrupt for one second. I think, unfortunately, parents assume that their teacher or their teachers are well trained. That's, that's a faulty assumption. Yes. yes. Um, I, I wish it were true. Yes. Um, and it's no fault of the teachers themselves, Correct. not at all. But the colleges of education that are preparing our future teachers, they are not delivering uh, the type of uh, preparation that these teachers really need. So it, it, at this point, unfortunately, becomes incumbent upon the teachers themselves and really, I guess, the school districts to make sure that their teachers are getting that ongoing professional development to really 
build and in some cases replace some of the, the teaching, the learning they got during um, their teacher preparation courses. And that goes back to, again, the science of reading. There's, there's a body of research, really the last 20 years of research in reading, writing, and spelling has uh, really taken us in a, a whole leap ahead in terms of our understanding of what does good reading, writing, instruction look like. A lot of that is just based on, you know, more and more behavioral research done, but it's also based on we now have brain imaging technology that allows us to study um, what the brains are doing in good readers and are not doing in poor readers and writers. And that combination of the neuroimaging research and advances in the behavioral research really tell us, you know, uh, we have a much better understanding of current best practices. Unfortunately, those current best practices haven't filtered their way into most classrooms. So, all right. So here's another question. So you have this research, right? And typically you would think who has access to this research? Usually it's professors, academics, right? And then who's connected to academics are usually undergrads or graduate students, right? Mm -hmm. So how come the colleges of education are not on top of the science of reading, writing, and spelling? Well, well, there's a question. Um, They certainly should be. And um, there, there could be political reasons there. There could be just lack of, you know, you don't know what you don't know reasons. A lot of the research, the, the groundbreaking research that I'm talking about, doesn't necessarily always come directly out of the field of education. It comes out of the field of neuroscience, the okay, field of speech-language pathology. Um, and so a lot of that research might not necessarily find its way across the desks of professors in a college of education. I have spoken I have spoken with my colleagues. Now, again, I'm in speech-language pathology, and there are departments of speech-language pathology, communication disorders in many universities. And they have tried, those professors there have tried to reach across the aisle, across the campus, if you will, to their colleagues in the College of Education to try to build those bridges, to try to work together in a collaborative way. And they haven't found good success in many, in most cases. Um, There just seems to be these silos in higher education, which then Mm -hmm. unfortunately can filter down to silos in the schools, in the the K-12 schools. You know, and not always, and I I don't want to in any way make, you know, not everyone falls under this, but unfortunately in many cases, this is the reality. It has changed over the years. It is moving in a good direction, but it's a slow movement. Um, Yeah. It just is a slow movement. So, okay. So let, let's say there was a clean slate, right? And let's say, you know, and right now, obviously, due to the pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, with colleges and, and particularly at the undergraduate level, there could be some sort of shift in terms of um, how, uh, you know, how colleges function because parents are obviously saying, you know, for those parents that are spending a fortune on private colleges and, and they may not, and their, and their child, the children may not have access to campus learning. Um, if you started with a clean slate and let's say you, there was a new university out there, it was certified or whatever. And they said, Jan, we want you to build a new department focused on teaching undergraduates and graduates literacy, right? 
we don't have a we don't have an education department. We we're, we're calling it a literacy department, and you could bring in whoever you want. Um, it's multidisciplinary. Um, you have free reign. Um, what would what would that look like? Well, the major focus in one word would be language, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, literacy is about your language skills, and that could be understanding the sounds that make up words. It could be understanding the, the letters and how they combine to, to write words, and it, it, it definitely involves the understanding of the meanings of words, but at the end of the day, it's language, and whether you're speaking and listening or writing and reading, its language. So that, that curriculum would um, have a heavy focus on understanding first just language and how we learn uh, to speak and, and understand language, spoken language, because everything else is going to build on top of that. And mm -hmm. it would have to address not only those multiple components of language, sounds, letters, and meanings, but how, um, but all the sub-skills within, and there are many sub-skills within each of those three main categories. But then how do all those different skills and systems combine, you know, within the brain to develop into this very efficient reading and writing network? Um, and how do we best teach that? What are the current best practices based on, again, the neuroimaging research, um, research out of speech language pathology and other disciplines as well, but generally not out of the College of Education in terms of regular education? Interesting. Okay. So it's really the kind of summing up in a way, it's really understanding um, language development, um, language and literacy, and brain science. Like, and mm -hmm. then obviously the best ways to teach um, language and literacy. Um, now, let's say. And Craig, could yes. I? I'm sorry. Can I jump in there? Because you mentioned earlier about the Colorado Reed. Oh Act. yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on what READ stands for, but mm -hmm. it's the Colorado Read Act, um, an, an initiative through the Department of Ed of Colorado. And their mission, their goal here with the Read Act is to make sure that all students in every school, state school in the state of Colorado, are receiving best practice language literacy instruction in the classroom and outside the, you know, in the intervention areas as well as needed, but that all students receive high quality uh, literacy inter uh, instruction so that all students can uh, uh, succeed in reading, writing, and spelling. And we, uh, what they do as part of that, there's many facets to the Colorado Read Act. One facet is that the, the Department of Ed has a very rigorous process where they vet um, first of all, they invite you to participate, um, and then you are vetted in terms of your program. Uh, we have the Spellings to Reading and Writing curriculum, which mm -hmm. is a, a program, commercial program that we sell, but they vet it, and it goes through a review process by multiple reviewers, and they look at how it meets the, the needs in each of these areas of language, you know, many of the ones we've already talked about, and, and then some. Uh, and how well it adheres to current best practices. And they look to the research that, you know, I've referenced. And um, anyhow, I'm just really excited to say that we were just uh, very recently approved by the Colorado Department of Ed, and we are on their approved list for programs that meet the criteria for their READ Act. Yeah, no, and you're legit. I mean, I think this shows you that the state 
you know, as you said, it's a very rigorous process. And for them to approve um, your spelling to reading and writing intervention is huge. And, mm -hmm. and it shows that the science of what you do, um, you know, uh, should be taken seriously. And I, and I'm really excited to hear what happens in the state of Colorado and, and hopefully other states will start adapting this as well. You know, there needs to be a lot of, a lot of, there needs to be a movement with literacy, like anything else. Like there's people don't realize that there's a, you know, we're still way behind, um, in terms of, uh, having all students act, having access to high quality literacy programs. Yeah, amen. And it, there yeah. are movements and they have grown, you know, and I've been in this, this space and, and well, I've been in this career my, my whole life, but I, in this space of um, where I'm in commercial publishing, we're very much in touch with the different states and the different schools and what's going on. And so I've had a, an opportunity to see them evolve over the last mm -hmm. 20 years in terms of shifting away from what were called market-driven products. So yes. 20 yeah. years ago, and I, and I know this from working again in the publishing business, 20 years ago, if a company was going to develop a new reading, writing, spelling product, probably any product, but I only know it in that realm, they would go to um, the market and say, well, hey, what do you want us to build? What yep. do you need? And they would mm -hmm. ask the teachers and, and anyone in the classroom who may or may not know the best practices, they'd find out, well, what do they want? And we'll just build it. So that was market-driven. And right. really, over the last 20 years, the, one of the major movements has been research-driven product development. And that's, that's always been what I've done. You know, I, I, I think you know, maybe you don't know, but oh, I developed absolutely. aerobics. Yes. Yep, yeah, and that strange. was all, and that was ahead of its time because that yep. was when the world was still in a market-driven product development for educational products for schools. But we were research-driven from day one, and mm -hmm. that made a big difference for us. Absolutely, yeah. So my mom, she's been retired from teaching for, I don't know, like six, seven, maybe eight years, but she was a literacy specialist in East New York and Brooklyn for 25 years, and, you know, every year, every two years, maybe every three years, some new commercial product would come through her school and it would drive her bonkers because mm. one, she, she's not a conformist. So, you know, she would have to teach a certain way. And then eventually you learn how to teach this particular type of product and then they take it away from you. And then you start from scratch, you have to learn a, a new one. And, yeah. and, and, and just first of all, as we know, you know, the inconsistencies, you know, um, not only do they not help the staff, it's not great for the students as well. So that's something that. Would, no, well, and it, it, so it's frustrating. It's, yeah. it creates a lot of anxiety yeah. um, and it's expensive. A lot yes. of money, a yes. lot of money goes yes. into buying product <laughs> and then can yes. sit on shelves. So yes, yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, so let's say um, there's a teacher tuned in right now. And he or she is like, you know what? Like, I, I would like to learn more about the science of literacy. Um, I already have my master's degree. I'm not going back to school. Um, like, what, what can I do? And let's say I teach elementary school age students. Um, what, what can I, what are some good resources for my, you know, myself or my colleagues to check out? Yeah, well, the first resource I would definitely recommend is the Spell Talk Yes, sir. Uh, You're I, on there, right? I love, I, honestly, when, when uh, I can't remember how many years ago, it could have been five plus years ago, I started 
when I started to get on the spell talks, I was addicted to it. It became such a, <laughs> such a problem that I, I have really good executive functioning skills where I can focus. I won't get distracted, but this, this destroyed my executive functioning skills and I would just love to read it. I used to chime in and I got to a certain point. I, I, I had, I'm like, you know what, Craig, like I, I, I need to spam it. So unfortunately for many years, I was off the spell talk with serve and I'm back on now reading a lot of the great, uh, and, and some of the greats from five years ago is still posting. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and we have, we have new greats, So I'll fill you in on that, but just yeah. so you and your listeners know when yeah. you do join spell talk, you can put your, your account in, um, for results free. So, but you can set it as no mail, which means we, you won't get all the listings sent to you, but you can log in at any time and just read, you know, when you do have that focus time, whether it's in the morning over coffee yeah. or whatever it is for you. So that's good. But yeah, so spell talk is now in its, uh, I think it's in its 14th year. No way. 14 yeah. years. Really? Yes. Oh my God. And wow. it's been, it's, I enjoy it. I mean, I created it, but I enjoy it more than I thought I would. And it really was designed as a place for any professional to go, uh, regardless of what your background is, your, your specific discipline, uh, and whether you're in the classroom or you're in academia doing research, it's a way for us all to come together, share our knowledge, our different perspectives, get out of our silos, collaborate, and really focus on the research and current best practices. And when I say research, some people might think, oh, that sounds dry, but yeah. it's not, you know, I, you could comment on that. But what we've done is we have pulled together major your leading researchers in this in, in literacy and language and they post on there quite quite frequently and it's a way to be directly connected and i have to say though it's not the posts aren't dry they are entertaining some of the analogies that people come up with um yes. are yes. mind-blowing i'm just yes. like they take <laughs> extremely complicated topics and they make it concrete and yeah. And the other thing, too, is even if you're not, you don't know a lot about the science of literacy is an accepting community. They're, they're not, they're not, you know, if, if you have a basic question, people are not going to beat you up. They're going to provide you with helpful information. So don't, don't be intimidated by, by this community at all. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. We yeah. do have a lot of, you know, lurkers and um, because they, they may feel intimidated, but they still want to be there and learn. And, and that's okay, too. We're happy to have everybody. Um, and so if your listeners are interested, it's, you know, they could Google or uh, search for spell talk, all one word, S-P-E-L-L. And we'll, and we'll include that in the description as well. Perfect. Um, yeah. And then any, any other like helpful tips for parents or teachers that, that want to start to learn more about maybe early developing, like, I don't know, literacy in the K to second grade where, you know, maybe they feel they don't know how to teach their child. Maybe their child's having some difficulties with spelling or decoding, or if they're a teacher and they, they really, you know what, I, I don't necessarily trust what the school is telling me to teach. I really want to learn more on my own. Do you have any mm -hmm. other, any other tips? Well, a couple of things. One, I'll give you a couple of tips. Um, yeah. I'll give you listeners a couple of tips of things they can do immediately, whether yes. they're a parent or a teacher. And let me, let me get to that in a second. But um, on our website, we do have 10 things to help your child with reading, oh, 10 great. things to help your child with spelling. We have oh. it both in English and in Spanish. And those are just some easy, while it's written for the parent, 
there are easy ways that classroom teachers can just layer some simple things into what they're doing in the classroom. Uh, you know, classroom teachers are not, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not the ones who are going to be able to change the curriculum. That, that right. takes a long time and that comes yeah. from the administration. But they can very easily layer little, little things into what they're doing every day. And I mean little things. Um, so those handouts on our website, and you know, maybe you can get them in your yeah, I'll get them up. absolutely. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll but those um, those are easy things to do and, and really help your child along. Then oh, here's what I like to tell the parents. So I am in private practice, and I specialize now in students who have language-based learning disabilities and reading, writing, spelling. When I pick up a new student, child, well, student of any age on my caseload, I always ask the parents to do two things. Mm -hmm. One is, I don't care how old your child is from kindergarten up through adults, well, high school, um, read, sit and have your child read out loud to you, with you, at least five minutes a day. And your job there is simply if they were to misread a word, simply tell them, look again, look again at the word, not to read it for them, not to try to turn into their tutor, um, just to get them reading out loud and looking carefully at the letters. That, what that does is that engages, activates and engages, remember we talked about the sounds of language, the, 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 you know, a word is made up of sounds, which that can be an abstract concept for a oh, lot of, lot I, of parents I, and teachers. I, I have to say one thing, if you haven't taught in a young or early reader how to read, you forget how complicated literacy is particularly oh, yeah. in the early stages oh yeah well i'm not sure it gets any less complicated later, but it's <laughs> that's different. true no it's that's different that's also true yeah no it's a very complex process you know it's amazing that we can and our kids can learn to become very good readers and writers with the right instruction but anyhow um uh, lost train of thought. Where were we there? Um, oh, so what we're wanting, oh, so the phonemes, the sounds of words, that is uh, an elusive concept for yes. students who are struggling and even teachers and parents. So, you know, for example, the word ship, the ship sailed at sea. There might be four letters in that word. There are four mm -hmm. letters, but there are only three sounds. And in order to become a good reader, and writer and speller, you need to develop that, that sound system. And one of the most simple and powerful ways to get that going, it's not going to fix everything, but it's going to go a long way, is getting a child to read out loud every single day. And, you know, kindergarten students can read from their little decodable books, um, or even not decodable, ideally decodable. Older students in high school, I ask my high school students to read out of a magazine or uh, a newspaper, whatever. The thing is, they have to read out loud, and it has to be with an adult to give that feedback. The other thing I ask my, my parents of my students to do is whenever the student, the child, is writing, whether they're writing um, a letter to grandma and grandpa, if anyone writes letters, or it could be emailing, it doesn't require yeah. handwriting, but whenever they're writing, maybe they're helping to write a grocery list for the grocery store, maybe they're writing their social studies answers for their homework, you know, they've got to answer their five questions in their social studies text. Have them say their sounds out loud while they write the word. So if I'm writing dear grandma, as the letters are being written, I'm saying, dear grandma. 
and I'm trying to line up those sounds with those corresponding letters as best as you know a student can when they're not working directly with the professional. Again, you're engaging the phone, what's called the phonological system. It's the system of sounds of words. That, in, in most cases, if a student is struggling with reading and writing, in most but not all cases, that system is deficient. Mm -hmm. um, and that has to be activated and engaged. You're also getting the student to do what's called phoneme grapheme mapping, big fancy word for just matching up sounds with letters. The sounds of the spoken word, the letters of the written word, and getting them to go together. Those processes, that, that, that method, that is so, so powerful. Now, is that all my students are going to need to do? No, but I guarantee, well, you never make a guarantee as a professional. We're not allowed right. to guarantee. But my student, you will see um, improvement from that task alone. It's not going to be all the student needs, but it will go far to help. No, but what's what's beautiful about what you just said is that it's a simple suggestion, but it's profound. And you're basically saying by engaging in you know these neuro uh, developmental uh, I don't know what the right term is here, but it's like uh, you're, these activation. You're activating these neuro uh, systems connections. connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, connections. Um, by activating them, you're practicing them. And you're also providing a feedback loop as well. And, mm -hmm. and, and if you don't engage in these neural systems and you're practicing reading or writing without the activation of these systems, um, in, in a way you're, you're kind of saying that uh, you're, it may not be the most efficient way to practice literacy. Uh, yes, that's exactly what I'm okay, saying. And, great. and neuroscientists call that efficient um, connection. They actually call it functional connectivity, functional meaning connectivity, that, yes. yep, yep. that those systems, and there are many systems and there are subsystems, but those many systems have to be connected with one another. And they have to be practiced over and over again to develop efficiency in the system, right? It's one thing to do it, but, you know, it's like anything else when we learn. When we learn how to play a musical instrument, for example, initially it goes very slow. It's labored. But as you practice and you engage all, this, all the systems, you know, uh, the motoric, both your, your hands and your mouth when you're, you're saying your sounds, um, your visual systems, because you're seeing the letters, you're getting that feedback. As you said, the feedback loops are really critical. That's what's helping to develop that um, very efficient functional connectivity. So I'll leave with one quick analogy. And I was listening to a David Blaine interview yesterday. Mm. Um, and uh, did, do you know who David Blaine is? I know his name. I want to say magic. Yes, exactly. He's yes. a very, he's a very, he does, he's a magician, but he also does stunts. And um, so he was, and what he does is very extreme. And during the interview, he was talking about how he prepares for some of these stunts. And then he was also mentioning some of his colleagues that make David Blaine look like an ordinary gentleman because th some of his colleagues are so extreme you know they're they're like not even on the standardized curve because mm -hmm. they they are they've gone above and beyond and it's not even human like. So mm -hmm. he was saying a story that um, there was a famous movie I think it was made maybe 20 25 years ago called Casino and mm -hmm. have you heard of that movie at all? I have not. No. And uh, it takes place in Vegas and apparently Casino was the the movie was 
is a true story based on an individual who was cheating the system. He was a gambler and he was really good at dice. And, and the way he beat the system was, uh, this is apparently a true story. And I don't know, some of these details may be a little off, but this individual, when he was maybe five years old, he wanted to learn how to roll dice roll dice so well that he can actually control how that he would roll throw the dice and he could configure or, or predict or have the dice result based oh. on how he rolled the dice so oh. he would practice apparently 12 hours a day like a, i don't know like literally almost every day rolling dice with whatever i've never been to a casino where however the the board is set up and they yeah. dice. he had a professional, whatever that's called. And he had professional dice. So the context was real. And he practiced every day, almost 12 hours a day for 10 years. And, and once he was old enough, he started to, I guess, gamble with dice. And he literally beat the system in, 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 in a, at a professional casino in Vegas and and that just shows you in terms of functional uh, connectivity, mm -hmm. how the nuanced motoric, you know, control he had of the dice in the fingers. And it shows you that if you go to such extremes, how you practice repetitive, you know, correct movements, what your body can do. Oh, it is so true. That is a powerful analogy. And it is, it's not just about the language pieces, it's yes. in reading, it's the motor pieces, and it's, yes. you know, planning and attention pieces. And I always like to say, when I'm working with a student, I feel like the, I'm the orchestrate, the orchestra conductor. Yes. And yes. I am there to con orchestrate all those systems working together, calling on one you know, a little bit more now, calling on one a little bit more now. Uh, you know, the end game is that the brain will do that, but I've got to orchestrate those systems and processes in my interventions with students. And um, but they've got to practice. Right? Yes, the orchestra absolutely. doesn't get good unless it practices. Yep. Practice, practice, mm -hmm. practice makes perfect. So, mm -hmm. Dr. Jen, I want to thank you so much for uh, being a guest on this podcast. And uh, and we will definitely have more information for those that want to join the Spell Talk listserv. And this was a lot of information, such a complex in terms of how to teach literacy, understanding what's going on behind the scenes with literacy, and letting the listeners know um, kind of the up-to-date uh, in terms of where literacy is at. Um, you've been such an amazing job letting us know. And, uh, and we, yeah, we can't wait to uh, connect with you on, on Spell Talk. Great. Craig, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. <laughs>